Let's come to the Lord and pray. Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name. Father, as we come to focus on the first petition that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Lord, we just ask that your Holy Spirit will speak through your word now and apply the truth of it to our hearts. Amen. Last Sunday, uh, Christoph introduced our summer teaching series on the Lord's Prayer, which is entitled 57 Words That Changed the word, World. Sorry. The title is borrowed from a book by Daryl Johnson, and it, it highlights the significance of the 57 words in the original Greek that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. 57 words that have changed the way we understand ourselves, the world, and God. Christoph covered the scope, how the prayer covers every aspect of our lives, the physical, the relational, and the spiritual. He then covered the flow, how the prayer focuses on God's agenda first before coming to our own. Then the center of the prayer, Jesus invites us to pray that earth will become more and more like heaven. And also the verbs, hallow, come, be done, give, forgive, lead not, and deliver. Each verb is a forceful command, seeking that God does only what God can do. And finally, the mechanics of the prayer. Prayer only works if we pray to the one who does the work, namely our Father. So Christoph commented last week that we all seem to intuitively know the Lord's Prayer something that has been ingrained in our memories from uh, Sunday school and also from praying it in assembly halls like the one we're now gathered in. But I must confess that it is not a prayer that I've utilized much in my own prayer life, nor for that matter really encountered in uh, corporate worship. But yet this is the prayer, this is the blueprint for our prayer. It is the prayer that our Lord Jesus taught his disciples to pray. It's 57 words that allow us to relate to our Father in the way his Son, Jesus, does. So why will we know the words and they trip off our tongues? Do we really know the meaning behind them? But I've got to confess here that I thought I probably knew more than I really did. And it was only through preparing for this talk that I realized how little I actually know about the Lord's Prayer. So perhaps it is the same for you this morning. So as we go on, we can come through this together and look at the first petition of the six in this prayer. So let's get excited by the Lord's Prayer because it isn't something from, that was contained to school life. But this is a really exciting prayer and it was a gift from Jesus. So let's, let's really get our teeth into this. In verse 9 of Matthew chapter 6, we read that Jesus tells his disciples, this is how you should pray. Christoph covered our Father in heaven last week, and he also mentioned it in his prayer earlier. But to the first century Jews, they understood that the heavens was something close at hand. It was the very air that they breathed, but to us, it's something generally far off and detached way up there. But it is important for us to grasp that our Lord, our God, our relational God, is close and how, just how privileged we are to have this relationship with him. So as mentioned earlier, Christoph had referred to the verbs in the prayer last week, and it's important to reiterate this, 
that the verb in this first petition, hallow, is the, in the imperative. This is a mood, sorry, in the imperative mood, and there is a forceful tone of command here. So we're asking God to hallow his name, but what does hallow mean? The verb hallow means to sanctify or to become holy or to make holy. We must recognize that this is a central truth about God. He is holy. God's holiness means he is separated from sin and devoted to honoring his own name. It's not that we're asking God to be holy because he's already holy and therefore his name, the Father's name, is holy. So to hallow God's name is not purely just some glib phrase inserted into a prayer ritual, but it is an opportunity for us to glorify and acknowledge the wonder and the greatness of God's character. So the first, paraf- the first petition of the Lord's uh, Prayer can be paraphrased. You, Father, you honour your name. Father, you enhance your reputation. Because Jesus is teaching us to do something that only the Father is capable of doing. So what better way to begin our prayers than by asking God to glorify himself and to acknowledge that he is completely holy? So when we pray, hallowed be your name, we are attributing the holiness that already is his, that is supremely and uniquely and always has been his. This holiness distinguishes the creator from his creation. So God is perfect, he is set apart in purity, and the psalmist tells us the Lord our God is holy. God's holiness provides the pattern for his people to imitate. When God called his people out of Egypt, he commanded them, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. So we're starting to get a picture here of what our awesome God in heaven is really like. He is holy, but he is alongside. He is not separated from us. He is close to us. So let's stop here and think for a minute. How might we learn the same passion for God's glory, which Jesus demonstrated in this prayer? The prayer he lived out in every single part of his life. So in Jesus, we have the clearest expression of hallowing the Father's name. He obediently came and did the Father's will. In Jesus, God took on human form and came to earth. The name Jesus in the Hebrew language means Joshua, which means Yahweh, which is God's covenant name, saves, or Yahweh comes to rescue. In every word Jesus speaks, in every deed he does, the character and nature of the saving God are revealed to us. He healed the sick, he reconciled the estranged, and ultimately he came, excuse me, and died for our sins in order that we can be reconciled with God our Father. From our Bible reading this morning, we see in verse 28 of uh, John chapter 12 that Jesus, the holy sacrifice, died to glorify the Father's name. Jesus hallowed God's name by suffering and dying for our sins, and God displayed his holiness by making us holy through his Son. In the first century, Jesus enhanced God's reputation by putting broken people back together again. Jesus wasn't hanging about with the so-called righteous. He didn't come for them. His mission was spending time with sinners who openly, sorry, who who needed spiritual healing. Jesus was enhancing his father's reputation by openly welcoming and genuinely spending time with sinners 
And our challenge as Christians, both as individuals and as a corporate church here in 2012, is to show the same love and compassion as Jesus had done in the first century in order that people may encounter the living God for themselves. So Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, hallowed be your name. So we've thought about hallow. So what's the significance of name? There are two essential things in a name, identity and character. So when we say that someone has a good name, there is something about their character that is worthy of praise. And how often do we approach people to get character references for people that we know nothing about and we need to learn more about them? We go by their reputation. Are they trustworthy? Are they hardworking? Are they reliable, etc.? And if we're recruiting someone for a job or looking or trying to find someone to look after our children, we want somebody who is of good character. So we build up a, a picture of this person or a, a profile of them. And in this day and age, we have uh, police checks and credit rating checks to enable us to do this. But in biblical times, the only basis that they had for assessing someone's character was by their name. So this is why people, the Old and New Testament people of God, took names so seriously. In Scripture, a person's name reflects their character. Unlike today, where many looked at popular culture, there were no Rihannas or Britneys running around. Nabal, for instance, means fool. And if you read his story in 1 Samuel, you'll see how he lives up to his name. While uh, Isaac means laughter, and we know the joy his miraculous birth brought to both Abraham and Sarah. So through knowing the names of uh, these biblical people, we discover essential truth about their character. And likewise, when we know God's name, we then begin to learn something about his character. So as you probably know, God is not God's name. God is a descriptive word, not a name. God has a, a, a name, a personal name, and he has many nicknames. So each of them show a different facet of his character and its expression in his will. So his covenant name is Yahweh, the name above every name. But he is also called Elohim, the creator God, Adonai, our master, El Shaddai, the mighty God, El Elyon, possessor of heaven and earth, and Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace, and Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is near and present. This is not an exhaustive list of names, but from these we begin to build up a picture of God's character. So Jesus is telling us that God's name signifies everything about him. It encapsulates his character, all that he is, his plan and his will. Throughout scripture we see how God fulfills each of the names attributed to him. He is the creator, he is the master, and he is the saviour. And our love for God and our trust in him are, not, are based on these great facets of his character and not purely on his name. So as Christians, we must have a high view of God. He has to have priority in every area of our lives. The placement of God at the top of the Lord's Prayer should be reflective of where God is in our own lives. So how do we really enter in to the first petition of the Lord's Prayer? What, would, what might we look for as God moves to answer this prayer? 
I read recently of an example where God's reputation was being enhanced through the everyday lives of his people. As we know, London is currently gearing itself up for the Olympic Games. There will be an influx of uh, athletes, supporters and people from the media. And sadly, many companies and individuals are taking advantage of the, the high demand for accommodation. I've already read stories of landlords evicting their tenants to bring people in at inflated prices. But one church in the city of London, St Brides on Fleet Street, is bucking this trend. Many of their members are offering free accommodation to media people from the world's poorest nations. As a community, these believers are sharing with those in need a a simple but a fundamental and basic biblical principle. These Christians in London are living out their faith. They're enhancing God's reputation with people from different cultural and faith backgrounds. These folk, through their practical care and hospitality, are hallowing God's name. The American theologian from Fuller, Bryant Myers, states, We need to do our work and live our lives in a way that calls attention to the new spirit that lives within us. We need to relate to people in ways that create a sense of wonder. We must seek a spirituality that makes our lives eloquent. This is what is happening in Fleet Street in the heart of London. And I believe this is what is happening right here in Belfast in BT4 and BT5. In my short period of time here at Kirkpatrick, and even before I came here, I was encouraged to learn of a great community for Christ here in Ballyhackamore, a visible witness for Jesus. And I was encouraged to learn how you deliver 2,500 parish newsletters to every household in the parish. There is interaction with neighbouring traders. All these things are enhancing God's reputation. They are hallowing his name. There is an open invite for all people to come here and join the church family at Kirkpatrick and experience the living God. Again, this is hallowing God's name. All the organisations that are running from the Holiday Bible Club, the Bowling Club, the Mother and Toddlers, all of the organisations, each and every one of them, hallow God's name and enhance his reputation. Both as individuals and as a community, you're enhancing God's name, his reputation, through being a witness to many. Imagine we prayed the Lord's Prayer and really meant it. Father, enhance your reputation in our community. People may have a growing sense of the presence of God without really realising it. When we live holy lives, people see a difference in us. And hopefully what they do see is Jesus. They begin to encounter Jesus for the first time. And hopefully they hunger to have more and more of him revealed. So when we are a visible witness for Jesus and being a holy people, things start to happen. Hopefully we see the advancement, seek the advancement of God's reputation. We will see more and more people coming to know him. So we don't pray, Lord, let us hallow your name. We pray, Lord, hallow your name, enhance your reputation. Only you are capable of that. But what we do acknowledge is that he is, a, that he is holy 
and that through Jesus' death and resurrection, we are made holy. As Christians, we are called to live lives that hallow the Father's name in our homes, in our workplaces, in our places of relaxation, in every area of our lives. And when we do this, we can truly say, Father, hallowed be your name. Last week, Christoph concluded by inviting us to think and pray about our Father in heaven. And I hope that this has been going well for you. Certainly, I've been encouraged as I've meditated upon God's name, taking more time to just really think about him and realize that he's in the very air that we breathe. So this week, we invite you to focus upon Lord, hallowed be your name, enhance your reputation. And it would be great if we could ask God to hallow his own name, but also ask him how we can enhance his name in our communities and in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name. We thank you that in Jesus, your name is fully and finally hallowed. Lord, as we go out this week, both as individuals and as a corporate community, help us to enhance your reputation through our actions and our words. In Jesus' name, amen.